You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale closes out our sermon series, Too Much, Living with Less in the Land of More. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Good to see all of you here this morning. Hope that you've had a great fall break, that wherever you went, you, if you went on vacation, you had a great time. If you stayed home, you had a great time. If you had kids at home with you, well, school starts back on Tuesday, so you're, you're almost home. This week, we're finishing up a series that we've been in for the last four weeks called Too Much, Living with Less in the Land of More. And we're going to finish this series as we talk about it, continue to talk about an issue that is very uh, personal. And we want it to transform uh, the way that we, we handle this personal issue, that being money and the things that money can buy. And whenever and, whenever and wherever we talk about money, there's this uh, risk that the conversation always goes nuclear because people, generally speaking, don't like to be told what to do with their money, and they don't really like for someone else to tell them what to do with their money. And so, so that's not the goal of this message or this series is for me to tell you what you need to do with your money. The goal of this message and this series has simply been to show what Christ and the scriptures have to say about money, and so that our lives might match up more closely with what scripture has to say. And so we want to teach what Jesus taught in hopes that we would practice what he preached. Three weeks ago, we began this series, and we saw that Moses reminded us of just how outrageously generous that God was with the Israelites. And then we saw through that that not only was God outrageously generous with the Israelites, but he is still outrageously generous with us today and Moses commanded us he commanded the children of Israel and commands us as well to never forget that generosity to never stop giving thanks to God for all that God has given to us and that one of the ways that we do that one of the ways that we express our gratitude is by giving back to God in week two of the series we saw Solomon and Solomon showed us what it was like to buy into the myth of more believing that if we just had a little bit more of everything that life would be meaningful and what we saw was that that couldn't be further from the truth that buying into the myth of more will actually cost us more than we ever would want to pay and then last weekend Abraham taught us that we will never pass the test of being faithful to God until we trust God moreover that we have to remember that not only does God invite us to to uh, test him that God invites us to test him but he says if you will bring the whole tithe into the storehouse I'll open up the floodgates so test me in that and so we're encouraged invited to test him in this is the only place in all the scriptures where we are actually told it's okay to test God and you remember that. It's the only place. Every other time that we're told uh, about testing God, it's always seen in a negative. In fact, Jesus said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Right? That's what he said to Satan. But here, God says, you bring the whole tithe in and you test me in this and see how much more I won't bless you. Today, we're going to finish up this series by looking at a guy named Uzziah. King Uzziah in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Second Chronicles. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to read a significant portion of scripture from there and some of it will be on the screen some of it won't so i'd encourage you to to flip on over there as we as we talk about king uzziah today though is moving day it was moving day uh for king uzziah we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes but but moving day how many of you have ever moved in your life i'm saying that should be all of us unless you live in the exact same house that you were born in 
All of us have moved at some point or another. And the reality is, is that we all like the idea of moving. It, it's kind of one of those fanciful ideas. We like the idea of moving on to something else, moving into something new. But when it comes to actually moving, most of us hate it. In fact, it's been my experience. I hate moving. There is nothing like seeing the amount of junk that you have accumulated and however time you have been at whatever location you've been at than it you do when you move. Um, that's when you find out who your real friends are. The people that will show up and move all of your junk from one location to the next location, that's a good friend and you keep those friends close. The other people, well, maybe they're just peripheral people that you kind of keep on the outside. I'm just, just kidding a little bit. But but moving is actually one of the top ten stress-producing realities in our world. It is one of the most stressful times that families go through. Moving. And everyone experiences it. You'll, you'll move because of a job. You'll move because you joined the military. You'll move because you, jo- because you went off to college. You'll move because you got married or because you... Uh, you had kids and you needed a a bigger place to stay everybody will move people will move in their later years because they choose to downsize and they move into as they get close to retirement everybody will move and from the beginning of time people have been moving when adam and eve moved out of the garden of eden when noah and his family moved into the ark when god moved his children from israel or from egypt into the promised land into into israel moving days happen And it may be that today becomes your moving day and my moving day. And moving day happened for a guy named Uzziah. So let's check out his story. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read the first couple of verses here. It says, Then all of the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. Think about that for just a moment. How many of you would have liked to have been in a position of that kind of power at 16? And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah, and she was from Jerusalem. One other side note, as we read through 2 Chronicles, there's a lot of names that are difficult to pronounce, and so... So I'll say it how I think it sounds, and you say it however you want to say it, okay? But as we read through Uzziah, we see that Uzziah had a tough family history. When his father was king, he was the victim of of an assassination. When his grandfather was king, he was the victim of a conspiracy. When his great-grandfather was king, just after one year year into his reign, he was the victim of an assassination. And so now Uzziah, at 16 years old, becomes king. I wonder what went through his mind. Hmm. My grandfather, my great grandfather, my grandfather, my dad, they've all been king and it's not ended real well for them. At 16, do you think he he wondered if his life was going to be cut short because of an assassination? Or do you think when he laid in bed at night, if he wondered about who might be lurking in the shadows ready to, to take his place of power? Did you think that do you think that Uzziah ever thought he would actually reign for 52 years? Think about that. Think about modern uh, people in power. You know, in, in the British monarch, I don't know how long Queen Elizabeth has been reigning, but she doesn't have any real power, but she's been there a long time. But here, King Uzziah had real power for 52 years. It's a good thing that his parents named him Uzziah because that's the name that means God is my strength. And so every time he heard the name Uzziah, young King Uzziah was reminded that God was his strength. Perhaps that reminder led him to verses 4 and 5. 
which says this. It says, He did was right in the eyes of the Lord. Think about that for just a moment. 16 years old and he does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. So young people out there, listen to me on this. You can do what is right in the eyes of the Lord now. King Uzziah did it at 16. You can do it now too. But maybe he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord because of this. Because it says, just as his father Amaziah had done. So parents, you want your kids to do what's right in the Lord. Set a godly example for them. Set the example that that you know you're supposed to be setting for them. It goes on, it says, He, Uzziah, sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Now, most likely, Zechariah was a prophet of God and a counselor to the king, and he was a person of influence and a godly mentor for for this young king. But what we want to notice here is that King Uzziah sought God meaning that he intentionally pursued him. He didn't, he didn't fall into holiness, okay? That's something that we, we think we just become a Christian and we just become holy all of a sudden. That's not how it works. You have to pursue holiness. Holiness is an, is an intentional action. And Uzziah sought God. And because he sought God, God gave him great success. And so the following verses tell, of us, tell us of his success. It reads like a resume. Verses 6 and 7 says, He went to war against the Philistines, and he broke down the walls of Gath and Jabneth and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal and against, and against the um, Israelites. That's not what that last word says. And against the Menunites. Sorry about that. King Uzziah had power. He had exhibited significant power. Think about that for just a moment. What, what this verse just tells us that he did. He defeated the Philistines. You all remember the Philistines, right, from, from the Old Testament? They were one of the greatest, uh, greatest adversaries to the Israelite people. In fact, they had a, one really famous uh, Philistine. You all remember who I'm talking about? He was Goliath. Yeah, that real big tall guy, that guy. Yeah, and King Uzziah led the charge against the Philistines. In fact, they saw their their most success against the Philistines during King Uzziah's reign. He exhibited significant power and was a capable military leader. Because of that, he expanded expanded the boundaries of Israel, and, and particularly against the Philistines. And again, God was behind the military conquest of the king. This wasn't something that Uzziah did because he was just a great leader, although he was a good leader. It was because he sought God and God gave him success in this. And so he had power. Let's read on verse 8. It says, The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. So not only does he have power, but he's developed a reputation. His power resulted in, in this king having an international reputation. And when other nations brought King Uzziah a tribute, it was their way of saying, Hey, thanks for not coming to war against us. Thanks for not wiping us off the map because we like our life and we'd like to keep, keep living it this way. So thanks for not doing that. Here, here's a tribute. Here's some money. Here, here's our way of saying thank you. And so he had, he had power and he had a reputation. And then verses 9 and 10, it says, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working in his fields and vineyards in the hills and in fertile lands, for he loved the soil. So he's got power and he's got reputation, and now he's making improvements. Over his 52-year reign as king, he was able to make significant improvements to the infrastructure of the nation of Israel. 
the, the community excelled agriculturally, and because they excelled agriculturally, they were able to, to benefit economically through trade and such. And so he's, made, he's got power, he's got a good reputation, he's got, made significant improvement, and now he's ne- he needs to defend that improvement. He needs to defend that infrastructure that he's built. And so we read in verses uh, 11 through 13, it says, Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jael, the secretary and, and Messiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. Here's all those names I was telling you about. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600, and under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war, a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. You know, similar to the opening verses that we read about, about his resume, these verses describe the defense forces that Uzziah had developed to protect all the improvements, the infrastructure that he had made to Israel. And so people invested in their nation, and their improved nation needed stronger borders and stronger military. And so Uzziah does that. And notice in the next verses, these next two verses, how he accomplished that. It says, Uzziah provided shields and spears, helmets, coats, and armors, bows, and sling stones for an entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for, the, for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Notice how the king developed new technology. It says devices were invented to keep Israel strong and safe. This equipment was of great benefit to the nation. So he's got power and reputation, improvement, defense, and equipment. That's a good resume, isn't it? And yet his resume is not finished. There's quite a bit more to the story, actually. And actually, his story seems to take a, verse and, uh, take a turn in verse 15. R- notice this last line. It says, For he was greatly helped until he became powerful. There seems to be something behind the lines there. It seems to read into something there. In fact, there's something very powerful behind that statement. We're going to read verses 16 through 23, and it's going to tell us what happened to Uzziah. It says, but, notice that, but, after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It's not right for for you to be here. Uzziah, it's not right for you to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you have not honored, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, and he became angry. And while he was raging at the priest in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, and so they hurried him out. Indeed, himself he was eager to leave, because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of his land. And the other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried 
near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings. For the people said, He had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. The very first word of verse 16 says, But. That word signals that it was moving day for King Uzziah. His pride moved him to a place where he did not belong. And as powerful and as accomplished a king as he was, he did not belong in the temple. That was not where God had designated him to serve. And yet, because of his power, because of his wealth, because of his strength, he says, I'm going to go there anyway. I'm gonna, I don't care what God has said is basically what he says. I don't care what God has said. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And so he goes into the temple. And so the priest, uh, uh, and the, there were 80 of them actually, they come in and they say, no, 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 you're not supposed to be in here. In fact, you, you need to leave immediately. And the king says, I'm the king. I do what I want when I want. Right? Because that's what power does to us. And that's what pride does to us. And so immediately leprosy breaks out on his forehead. Now, if you know anything about leprosy at all, you know that this was a disease that, that people in ancient times did not take lightly. In fact, it was a death sentence. Not only a, death, a physical death sentence, but a societal death sentence. You were moved out of the community. And so when leprosy begins to break out on his forehead, and I imagine that it spread far too quickly for it to be just a common case of leprosy, this was certainly a supernatural, uh, uh, supernatural time of leprosy. The, the priests rush King Uzziah out. They say, you've got to get out of here. You've got to get out of here quick. And Uzziah sees what's happening to him. He says, yep, you're right. I need to go. And so they move him out, and not only do they move him out of the temple, they move him out of the palace. It was moving day for King Uzziah. He was moved out of the palace and into, into a, a quarantine. In, in ancient times when a person had leprosy, they basically had their own little commune that only lepers would enter, and they would have to stay in, in, in a certain uh, distance to that, to that facility. And if you got outside of that facility, you had to walk around and you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people would know to stay away from you. Because leprosy was highly contagious, and there was no cure for leprosy. If you got leprosy, it was going to be a slow and painful and humiliating death. It was moving day for Uzziah. He's moved out of the, out of the temple and he's moved out of the palace. He's moved out of a place of power. And even for the rest of his life, it was moving day. See, Uzziah didn't just move out of the palace. He moved out of a place of honor and achievement. Even in his death, Uzziah is humiliated. Notice what it says about him, about where he was buried. It says he was buried in a place near his father's. Remember, his father, his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, they were all kings. They were buried in a place of honor in the king's cemetery. It doesn't say that about Uzziah. It says that he was buried near them. Not with them, but near them. Even in death, Uzziah was moved to a place of humiliation. And what do the people say about him? He had leprosy. All of those things that we just read, all of the great things that he had done, the power that he had, the reputation that he had, the improvements that he, had, that he made, the defense that his army had, the equipment that they had developed, all of these great things that Uzziah had forgotten about. And what was his epitaph? He had leprosy. Dr. Scott Fowlman has been working on artificial intelligence for the last 40 years at Pittsburgh's Carnegie Mellon University. And he recently said that he will not be remembered for all the scientific work that he's done and the developments that he's made in artificial intelligence. 
But he will be remembered for something much different. Anybody know what Scott Feldman will be remembered for? His invention? He invented emoticons or emojis as we know them now. His obituary will scream with smiley faces. That's what he's going to be known for. Uzziah's tombstone declared he had leprosy. All of the, the things that dotted his resume, forgotten about. Uzziah moved, it was moving day, and he moved to the bottom of the pile. He moved to the bottom rung of the ladder. He was humiliated. And what moved him there? Verse 16 tells us, pride. His pride moved him there. What was the first sin ever committed? Well, it wasn't when Adam and Eve picked fruit from a forbidden tree. That wasn't the first sin. The first sin was when Satan wanted to be like God. That first sin committed was pride. And it remains a sin in each of our lives today and can be just as deadly as it was for Uzziah. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us that pride goes before the fall. That's right. And remember this idea that what goes around comes around. Well, that, that's, that's a pretty good idea to remember. And the same can happen to us. What brought Uzziah down can bring us down. It can, it can go to our head. We, we, we have such power and, and influence that oftentimes we think that what we have, what we have in our life, we have earned, that we, have, we deserve it. And, and that way of thinking, that prideful way of thinking, can bring us down as well. What puffs us up can, can easily bring us down. You think power. Think about this. Do you have a position of power or authority at work in, in maybe an organization or maybe within your family or your extended family, maybe the neighborhood? Does that power and authority uh, feel good particularly when you use it? What about reputation? Are we known? Are we popular? Do we have lots of followers on, tw on Twitter and lots of friends on Facebook? Is our name in the program? Are we listed on the, on the athletic roster? Are, are we listed as an officer in the organization? What, when our name is mentioned, what do people think of? Do they think of, of how talented we are and how wealthy we are and how influential we are, how intelligent we are? What about improvement? Have we improved our physique or our looks or, or maybe our house? Have we improved our skill set and our, and our knowledge base? What about defense? When, when criticized or corrected, do we defend ourselves? Do we ever admit to being wrong? You know, studies show that the three most difficult words to say are not, I love you, but the three most difficult words to say are, I don't know. Our pride gets in the way of letting us admit that we don't know all the answers, that we don't have all the information that we need. Pride keeps us from admitting our lack of knowledge as well as our mistakes. What about equipment? Are we enjoying new wheels, new square footage, new, new designer wardrobe, new pieces of technology? If we're not careful, all of this can bring us to an unwanted moving day. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Nick Walenda, but Nick Walenda is a high-wire uh, artist. I don't know what else to call him, but he walks across on high wires, across uh, great uh, chasms. He's done, recently he's done, had specials on ABC and ESPN where he's walked across uh, the, the Grand Canyon. He's walked across Niagara Falls. And so he, he has a very bold uh, nature about him, and he draws a lot of attention to himself. But what you might not know about Nick Walenda is that he's also a follower of Christ. And Walenda knows that he is easily tempted by pride. And so as a safeguard against arrogance, Nick Walenda does something that I think is pretty uh, unusual for a person of his stature, but also very, very significant. After one of his shows, 
Belinda will wait in his trailer for a couple of hours and after all the crowd has dispersed and they've gone home and they've been amazed at what he's been able to accomplish, he goes out where the crowd has been and he spends about three to four hours picking up trash that they've left behind. It's an act of humility. It's an act of lowering himself, of, 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 putting something beneath, of doing something that might be beneath him. He's lowering himself to that. And so he spends as much as three hours gathering garbage from the crowd that has been there. Well, Linda does this because it says it, it, it keeps him from struggling with arrogance. It, it keeps his pride in check. And what, happened, what comes before a fall? Pride. And Walenda knows that in his line of work, a fall can have serious consequences. And he does all of that because he's a follower of Christ, because he wants to be more like Christ. And if we're going to be followers of Christ, then I think that's the reason we're here is because we want to be more like Christ. And so Philippians chapter 2 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, in, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man. And then notice this, ver- this, this phrase. It says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because of that, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about that. Jesus humbled himself. That means to to humble yourself means to lower yourself. It's a place to which a person goes. And you must deliberately want to go to that place of, of humility. He wanted to come here from there. Think about that. It says he left, he left heaven. Now, I don't know what heaven is going to be like except for what I read in the Scriptures. But I imagine that what it's going to be like is actually much greater than what I can conjure up in my imagination. And I look forward to that moving day when, when I move into heaven on, on the other side of eternity. But Jesus left heaven. To come to earth. And earth is not bad. We look around and we, see, we say there are lots of beautiful things in, the, in this world for us to, to admire and to see. And, and you know, he made people. And he put people on earth. And I think people are, are God's uh, assurance that he has a sense of humor. But it's not, earth is not bad. But it's not heaven. You know, my, one of my favorite places in all the world is the beach. I... I, I I'm telling you what would make Glendale, Kentucky, the perfect town in the world for me is if it had a beach. And I'm not talking about down on the river. I'm talking about, I'm talking about a real beach. And yet, when I think about how good those places are, the, you know, I love to go to the beach, and there's not many other places I would want to go. And yet, humility is going somewhere else intentionally going somewhere else he left heaven to come here again earth's not bad but it's not heaven humility is the noble choice to forgo your status to deploy your resources your influence for for the benefit of others and jesus emptied himself for the benefit of us he gave up his title think about the title that jesus had he was there at creation so he he carries the title creator of the world Creator of the universe. That's a pretty impressive title. But even more impressive is the title 
Son of God. Think about that. That's his title, Son of God. And he gave that title up to become Son of Man so that he might, he might empty himself out for you and me. And he willfully chose to take this action. This was not done to him by someone else. God did not kick him out of heaven. God did not say, you have to go do this. You, you, you must do that. God did not do that. Jesus willfully chose to do that. To, to willfully go is humility. To have it done to you is humiliation. And there's a big difference in humility and humiliation. Did Jesus invite us to learn from him because he, would, because he had all kinds of advanced degrees and multiple certifications? No, he didn't. Did he invite us to learn from him because he was in high demand as a speaker and, and a miracle worker? No, that's not why either. Jesus wanted us to learn from him because he was gentle and humble in heart. Humble. Humility is one of the most difficult lessons for us to learn, and yet if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, we must walk as Jesus walked. We learn from a humble Jesus that our attitude should be the same as His. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking less often of ourselves. We have this idea that if I'm going to be humble, then, then I just have to, I, I can't think anything good about myself. And that's not humility at all. That's humiliation. Humility is just thinking of ourselves less often, putting others before ourselves. And we must move to a place of humility, a lower position. And we must move to a place where we do not cling to status. Paul writes in Colossians that we are to put on humility. So the, that's always the question, can you be humble and know it, right? Can you be a humble person and know it? Because the idea is if you know that you're humble, then by default you're not, right? Well, I don't, I don't think so. Paul says you've got to put on humility. You've got to clothe yourself with humility. When you, go, when you get dressed in the morning uh, for work or school or, or wherever it is that you're going to go, when you go to your closet, do you just go in and say, hey, hey, clothes, get on me, clothe me. No, that's not how it works, right? If, if that's how it worked, you'd stand, if that's what you did, you'd stand there for, for a great while, right? Now you have to go through your closet and you have to pick something out and you have to put it on. So if you're like Tim, you, you pick out a shirt and you look at it and say, is this going to look right today? And then you put it back and you pick up another one, right? And for Tim, unfortunately, most of them don't look right. That's a whole other side note. But, but you have to clothe yourself. So you have to put it on. Paul says, clothe yourself with humility. It's an intentional action that we take. It's moving to a place of lower status. A move, moving to a place where we put others before self. In 2015, Denzel Washington spoke for a commencement at Dillard University down in New Orleans. And during his speech, this famous movie star urged students to put God first in their lives while thanking God constantly. This is what he said, part of what he said. He said, put God first in everything you do. Everything I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift, and I don't always stick with him, but he stuck with me. And while you're on your knees, say thank you. Thank you for grace. and Thank you for mercy. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for parents. Thank you for love. Thank you for kindness. Thank you for humility. Thank you for peace and thank you for prosperity. Say thank you. You know, it looks like a very famous Hollywood celebrity and Denzel Washington had a moving day. Not towards pride, but towards humility. And it's a move that every one of us need to make. 
It's a move that we need to make every day because here's the ultimate reality is that there is another moving day coming in our lives. At some point or another, we will all experience another moving day when we move from this life into the next. And so are we going to move on the side of humility or are we going to move on the side of pride? My prayer is that we will move on the side of humility. And when you, when you know that moving days come and you begin to pack your bags and you begin to, pre- to prepare for that move, right? Well, guess what we're doing as we live each day? We are preparing for eternity. We are preparing ourselves for, for heaven. And so we need to begin now packing our bags. And in that we put humility. Humility is, humility is part of the clothes that we put in the bag to pack. And we wear it. And we practice for heaven now. So we move towards humility. Because moving day's coming. So are you going to be ready? This morning we're going to stand and we're going to sing in just a moment. And before we do that, I'm going to pray for us. But understand this. Everybody's got moving day. The question is, do you have your bags packed? Are you ready to go? Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And we thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship with brothers and sisters. Thank you for the, the example of King Uzziah. And, and Father, his resume was impressive. But the end of his story, not so much. And so, Father, help us to, to move toward humility so that we're not humiliated. Help us to move toward humility so that we, we look more like Christ that we act more like Christ, and that people would, would see that in us so that they might become like Christ. Help us to be ready for your return. Help us to be ready for the day that we enter into to, to heaven. Help us to be ready for that moving day by helping us to move toward humility. Father, it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.